scripture, there's a couple different accounts of people going to heaven, seeing the sights, hearing the sounds, and coming back. Um, the, the two in particular that I see that are just kind of the quintessential example of what I want to look at in the New Testament, Paul has a vision. He doesn't know whether it's in the spirit or the flesh. He doesn't really know. In fact, Paul kind of skates around the issue that it was him at all because he's really trying to keep himself humble. And when he saw these sights in heaven, when he came back, 2 Corinthians tells us this, that, that Paul was not allowed, he wasn't permitted to tell anything that he had seen. But when we look in Revelation chapter 4, I mean, it's the exact opposite instruction Jesus gave John. John was told, dude, write everything you see, everything you hear, and we need to let people know what's going on up here. In Revelation 4, I believe we're kind of seeing the, 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 the worship service uh, right after the, the rapture. And that's just speculation, but, but that's what I see, and we're going to talk about that. Um, you know, heaven is mentioned over 500 times in the Bible. Daniel describes it, Ezekiel describes it, uh, Paul describes it, John described it. And, and it's John's writing in Revelation 4 that is the most descriptive, that is the most, uh, that, that it's filled with the most adjectives of what heaven is like. And that's very, to me, it, it makes sense in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. Heaven opens up for John. He's living underneath an open heaven. He's able to see a clear picture of Jesus. He's able to see the one who stands among the light, uh, the lampstands. He is able to see where the glory of heaven eclipses the shadow land of earth. And he is just under an open heaven. In church, the good news is that open heaven is still open for you and me today. It's open for us today by faith. It's open for us the day we die when, when we go, when, when, when our spirit receives that open heaven. It's open for us when the resurrection or the rapture happens. We receive that resurrected body so that, even, that that open heaven is still available for us. Y'all, in chapters 1 and 2, Jesus is talking about how he's here, how he's alive, how he's coming back. He talks about the seven churches of, of Revelation. We talked about that. John's given a second, a second vision in Revelation 4. Um, the Bible says, after these things. Well, I'm assuming that John went back to Patmos and he wrote down those letters and he sent them out to the seven churches of, of Revelation. And then after he was faithful with that, Jesus gave him another job. Uh, the voice said, the voice said this, Revelation 3.10, since you've kept my command to endure patiently, I'll also keep you, the church at, at uh, Smyrna, from the hour of trial that's going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. We're going to talk today about a, an event called the rapture. Church, would you say rapture? rapture. Um, I, I don't assume everybody in the, in, the, in the room or online knows what the rapture is because, um, quite honestly, if you did a Google search for rapture in the church, you won't ever find the word rapture in Scripture. And I think that throws a lot of people off. So I kind of want to, uh, I kind of want to exegete this a little bit because I believe that the next big thing that will happen will be this thing called the rapture. That's when millions of living Christians will be translated from this, this, this plane, this planet, to meet the Lord in the air. And let me tell you this: when we look at Scripture, you don't look at script. We we don't look at Scripture in fragments. We look at the whole thing. We have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. So I want to build that for you today. If you already know what the rapture is, maybe you're going to have something a little bit new to take home with you. Maybe you'll learn something. If you don't know what the rapture is, uh, you're going to learn a whole lot, okay? So uh, when we look at the rapture, we're going to look at several passages. Now, I don't know when it's going to happen. And I, these are going to be some difficult parts of Scripture. And I think that we have every right to speculate about difficult passages of scripture what we don't have the right to do about our speculations is say thus says the lord 
because our speculations are just simply that. They're not speculations. So when we, when we say that our speculations are God, uh, that's where we really mess up. Uh, the rapture is an, a, a certainty. It is a fact. It is an event that will take place. What I don't know is when it will happen. That is speculation. The rapture is a future event. It is a moment when the church believers, those who are alive and those who are dead, will be removed from the earth in a very supernatural catching away. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 17, the Apostle Paul said, The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a, with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, that's shofar, and those who have died believing in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are alive will be gathered up. Church, say gathered up. The New Testament was written in a language called Koine Greek. It was just common Greek. It wasn't anything fancy. In fact, Koine Greek, they've found grocery lists that were written in Koine Greek. It's just common. It was common language. That word uh, gathering up, believe it or not, in the original language, Koine Greek, was a word called harpazo. The word harpazo means gathering up. It can also mean embezzlement. It can also be stealing away. It can also mean robbery. So that word harpazo in Greek, I want you to think about it like this. Um, if I would show you a sign that was bilingual, English and Spanish, um, you can recognize the Spanish. And Jane, throw up the sign, please. The caution sign in English and the caution sign in Spanish. Um, you don't, maybe you can speak Spanish, I can't, but at least I can see that sign, and if I know what the English is, I can fairly well get around what the bilingual was. It's interesting that uh, do not operate in English is just two words in Spanish, but that, but that is okay. Um, you may not know a lick of Spanish, but if you know English, then you can kind of look at that other one and say, oh, okay, don't operate. Let's go back to the harpazo. The Greek was harpazo. When the Roman Catholic Church came around and said, oh man, we need to put a scripture together, uh, a, a Bible together so everybody can read it uh, throughout the Roman Empire. So what happens was they, they had, they, they, Latin was what the Romans spoke, so they translated the Greek into the Latin, and that's called the Latin Vulgate, if you're keeping score. Uh, the word harpazo in Greek translates over to rapturo in the Latin. It means gathered up, stealing away, embezzlement, robbery. Rapturo is, well, what's that sound like to you? That's where we get our word rapture. So when somebody says, well, the word rapture is not even in the Bible. Well, they're absolutely right. But if you know what you're looking at, well, okay, it means gathering up. That's where we get our word. The rapture event is when millions of living Christians will be translated off this planet. Uh, Jesus tells us what that will look like, and I think it's so great that Brother Chris, was, Chris and the band were able to do, wish we'd all been ready, an old Larry Norman song came out of the Jesus movement in the 70s. Jesus tells us about this coming event, this rapture, and this is what he says. No one knows when that day will come or will, where it will be, not even the angels, not even the Son, only the Father knows. When the Son of Man comes, it'll be just like what happened during Noah's time. Uh, Noah's time. Go down to verse 39. They knew nothing about what was happening until the flood came and destroyed them. It will be the same when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken. One will be left. Two women will be grinding grain at the mill. One will be taken. One will be left. So always be ready because you don't know the day. You don't know the hour. You don't know when your Lord will come. Well, okay. Cool. 
So Jesus is telling us that this event is real. There will be two men working. One will be left. One will be taken. Two women out by the well. One will be work, uh, by the, by the uh, mill. One will be left. One will be taken. That's the rapture event. Okay, when that happens, Paul kind of gives us a little bit more insight in 1 Corinthians. Again, we're not looking at Scripture in fragments. We're looking at it in its totality. We're looking at the whole thing. 1 Corinthians 15, 5 through 40. I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit, uh, cannot have a part of the kingdom of God. And I'll tell you why. Our bodies are made for Earth's environment. When we get to heaven, that's not going to do us a whole lot of good. So we need a glorified, resurrected body that's made for a heavenly environment. If you were going out four-wheeling, you wouldn't want to take a moped. You wouldn't want to take something that's built for that terrain. You'd want a nice side-by-side or a four-by-four or a horse or something. When we get to heaven, we're going to need something for heaven's terrain. That's a new body. Something that will, uh, I'm sorry, uh, flesh and blood cannot inherit have a part in the kingdom of God. Something that will ruin cannot have a part in something that never ruins. But look, I tell you this secret. We're not all going to die, but we're all going to be changed. It will only be a second as quick as an eye blinks when the last trumpet sounds. The trumpet will sound. And those who have died believing in Jesus. Those who died who have placed their faith in Him. Those who have died as Christians. Well... The trumpet will sound and they will be raised to live forever and we will all be changed. When this happens, this scripture will be made true. Death has been destroyed and is raised up in victory. Jesus will rob from the grave. Hallelujah. Man, that's cool. Y'all, rapture's coming. We're going to need a new body for that place. Our earthly bodies are made for here. Paul explained this unique transformation in this way in 1 Corinthians 15. Our earthly bodies, which die and decay, will be different when they are when we're raptured or we're resurrected from the grave, we will have a brand new smoking hot body with a kung fu grip. All right? We will have that brand new body that's built for heaven. Our bodies now disappoint us. Amen? Amen. Try walking up a flight of stairs. You tell me they don't disappoint you. But when they are raised, they will be full of glory. Why? Because you've got your new heavenly body. They are weak now, but when they are raised, they will be full of power. Why? Because we've got this, this now we've got the side-by-side that we need for heaven, all right? We're no longer driving around the moped. Now we have something that can, that can, that can count. And there's a beautiful, one of my favorite scriptures, the perishable must put on imperishability, and the mortal must put on immortality, and the corruptible must put on corruptibility, and then will come about the saying, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? That's all in the context of the rapture. That's all in context of this event that will take place. John, Paul, Lazarus, they saw heaven, but they didn't receive the new body. So when they came back, they died again. Y'all, maybe the reason we don't hear too much about the church between Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 19. And in those chapters, you see the great tribulation, the mark of the beast, the antichrist, the false prophet. You see all of these end time events. And guess what you hear of the church, Tim? <laughs> Nothing. Well, why don't we hear about the church? It could be, and this is speculation. Maybe the church has been raptured. And that's speculation. I don't know. There's one scene in Revelation 4 that can help us know what we can expect when we first get to heaven after the rapture. This is cool. I love this. This is a neat passage. 
There were some amazing sights that were seen the moments that John got to heaven, and they will be for us too. He saw the throne of God, and around the throne of God there were 24 thrones with elders upon them. In front of the throne of God there were four living creatures, one with the face of an eagle, one with the face of a man, one with the face of an ox, one with the face of a lion. He sees all of this, and we're going to extrapolate and see what that means. Church, there have been dozens of doctoral dissertations, books, and documentaries on what these 24 elders are, or who these 24 elders are. And I will tell you this, what I have to tell you is entirely speculation, unless I say it's not. I do think that these are not angels. Angels are never given white robes. Angels are never given a crown of life. Angels are never called elders in Scripture. So these are not angels. They are real people. There's 24 of them. We don't know what it means. Second Chronicles chapter 24 talks about that in the Old Testament there were 24 orders of priests. 16 from this house, 8 from the other house. 6 plus 8 is 24. We don't really know. Maybe I've heard this said before that the 24, maybe 12 of them are for the tribes of Israel and the other 12 are the apostles and they represent the church through the ages. I don't know. That's just as good as any. If you ask me, that's fine. Um, but the truth is we don't no, we know what they're wearing. We know what kind of swag they've got on. They've got white garments and they have this golden crown. Revelation 2.10 Jesus says something about this crown. He's talking to that church of Smyrna. When I, remember when I gave you the, the, uh, the myrrh? Some of you ate it, and I think you had to go to the hospital, get your stomach pumped. All right? Don't just put something in your mouth. You don't know what it is. What's wrong with you guys? Anyway, he tells this church who, who are going to be burned up, who are, uh, figuratively burned up, uh, who are going to go through uh, beating and being tested. This is what he promises the church at Smyrna, which we've talked about a few weeks ago. If you want to hear that message, you can go to YouTube and get it, or you can go to Facebook. Revelation 2.10. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer, Smyrna. I tell you, the devil will put you through some stuff. He's going to test you. You're going to suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you a... That crown of life is given to people who have maintained their faith in spite of opposition, in spite of persecution, in spite of prosecution, in spite of what culture or Congress or celebrities say. People who hold their faith even when it's hard to hold their faith. God says, I have a reward for you. I have a gift for you. So when those 24 elders have that crown of life on their head, I've got to assume they've received it, A, from God, and B, they received it because they walked the walk even though when it was difficult to walk the walk. Angels don't ever, that doesn't happen to angels. Doesn't happen, they're not robes or crowns or they're not called elders in scripture period so these 24 people they have to be people let's talk about the four living creatures because those are whack there are four living creatures in front of the throne of god uh we went to a wedding yesterday at saint mary's um if you if you look behind the tabernacle or the the elements there in the in the uh, saint mary's church there's this large uh iconography of jesus looks like a first century type of painting um but up in the upper corners, there are, four, there are four living creatures. There's one here, one here, one here, one here. Um, and they're named for the Gospels. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in, uh, in Catholicism, they, they attribute a, an animal character to each one of the Gospels. Last night I said they, just so I could understand it, Spirit animals, okay, if you will. Um, I'm not saying they are spirit animals. I'm just saying this is the image they give to the apostles. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. One's a lion, one's an eagle, one's an ox, one's a man. I don't know where this comes from. I don't know if it's from early church tradition, 
But the truth is, anything I tell you about these, these guys, unless it's from Scripture, is purely speculation. I, I, I don't really know. Uh, we, don't, we don't really know about these creatures. We do know that they play a significant role in the events that are about to take place in Revelation when we get here next week. Uh, these are cherubim angels, and what the cherubim do is they protect the glory and honor of God. This is what these four cherubim do. And I think it's interesting, and what I'm about to tell you, again, it's speculation, but it's really, really cool. Uh, the devil very could have well, uh, Lucifer, the devil, could have very well, this could have been his gig. He could have been one of the four before he was kicked out of heaven. In fact, he could have been the guy that you had to contact to get a day off. If you were one of those four on that front line. This is what the Bible says. Ezekiel 28, 14. You, Lucifer, were anointed as a guardian cherub. You were on the front lines. For so I ordained you, you were on the holy mount of God, and you walked among the fiery stones. Y'all, if that does not sound like Revelation 4, I'm not going to find a better text to show you. The book of Isaiah tells about how when Lucifer was kicked out of heaven, when he rebelled against God. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of dawn. You've been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low nations, you, Lucifer, said in your heart. I want you to think about this. What if, Lucifer was one of those, what if Lucifer was one of those four beasts and he was able to just see the throne of God whenever he wanted to? He was one of those beasts with all the eyes. I mean, man, he was just as close to the throne as anybody in heaven. In fact, people in heaven didn't get closer to that. Listen to what, listen what the Bible says. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly. On the utmost heights of the sacred mount, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Man, that sounds like to me, it definitely could have came from one of those creatures who all the time just had nothing to do but to praise God and to look at that throne. And say, I don't know what happened in Lucifer's mind. Who in the world could come up with an omnipotent, sovereign God? Yeah, I think I can take him. Really? But that's what he thought. And then he rebelled against God. As interesting as it is to me to learn about the 24 elders, as interesting it is to me about the four living creatures, do not miss the focal point of John's heavenly vision. And that's the throne. Look what the Bible says. At once I was in the Spirit, and there was before me a throne in heaven. And praise God, it wasn't empty. Someone was sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Chameleon. Uh, uh, Chameleon. Uh, but it's also known as Sardius because the stone that he's talking about here came from the town of Sardis. The one that Jesus said, you're dead. Jasper and Chameleon or Sardis, there was a rainbow also there resembling an emerald circle encircled the throne. Now, church, you need to understand that there is one God sitting on that throne. There are not many gods. There is one God. Someone is sitting on the throne. That someone is the object of the worship of the church on earth. And that one is the object of worship in heaven. That one. And by the way, we are witnessing heaven showing us what loving God looks like. When we love Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. The Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. You will love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. There is one God the Father, one God the Son, one God the Holy Spirit. Church, when we look at this, we see the Holy Spirit there represented with the menorah. We see the Father on the throne. Where is Jesus? 
Who's talking to John? Jesus. They're all there. Every single one of them are there. Let's look at the colors because I mean, to me these are just simply kind of cool. The jasper and the sardius uh, stone. Um, in, most, in, in most of the commentaries I read, in most of the studies I ran across uh, as I was putting this sermon together, they were red stones. The jasper and the uh, sardius were, were blood red stones. And this is, this is interesting. Red typically signifies the color of wrath or rage. I got so mad my face got... Or being red with envy. Or being uh, so... Uh, it represents war. Mars being the red planet. It represents fury. Alright. So, when John sees all the colors uh, coming from the throne, the two that catch his eye are colors of judgment and wrath. To me, it's interesting that as the jasper and the sardius stone are, grow- are glowing red, I want you to, to look at Exodus 28.15. I want you to think about the high priest. Who is the high priest of the church? Who is the head of the church? A high priest has on a breastplate. The Bible tells us this in the book of Exodus. They are given instructions on how to make the breastplate for the high priest. The Bible says, Now thou shalt make the breastplate of what? Church, we're looking at God about to release on this earth plagues and sores. The water turning into blood. There is a threat from outer space. There is uh, an uprising with the false prophet and the Antichrist. There is the collapse of the financial systems in the world. He is about to judge the world. He's not, about, he's not about to send a plague of marshmallows and puppies and bunny rabbits. He's about to send a plague that's going to change the world. A breastplate of judgment with cunning work, and thou shalt set it in settings of stone. Four rows of stone. The first stone shall be a, a stone of what? What, remember, what, remember what color I told you that was? Where else did you see that sardia stone? Revelation 4. Okay. And the fourth row, a burl, an onyx, and a... They shall be set in settings of gold. So the first and last stone of the breastplate of the high priest is jasper and sardius. Stones representing... The high priest blessed a breastplate and representing the judgment and wrath of God. Ask Sodom and Gomorrah about the judgment and wrath of God. Ask first century Israel about the wrath of God. Ask the Philistines about the wrath of God. But thank God that that's not all there is. What's surrounding that throne? A rainbow emerald, or an emerald rainbow. Well, if wrath represents what God did to Noah and what God's going to do to the planet, then you need to understand something. God's not just all about judgment. He's also about mercy. He's all about calling people home. He's all about saving people. He's all about ministering to them. Church, the throne in this text, there are 13 times that the word throne or enthrone is used. 13 times in 11 verses. We probably need to look at the throne. This is an important piece of furniture in heaven. The throne is at the center of eternity. It is a symbol of God's sovereignty, His authority, His reign. His throne is standing. It is fixed. It is immovable. It will not be changed. It will not be overthrown. It will not be overruled. It will not be overtaken. 
the creator of the universe, the first and the last, the Alpha, the Omega, the Alif from the top, the beginning and the end is sitting on that throne. Here's the thing. Y'all, he wasn't just sitting on that Revelation 4 throne. He's sitting on the throne today. Right now as we speak, right now as we're in this church, God is seated on the throne. The creator of the universe who spoke the universe into existence like he was ordering a pizza. Yeah, give me half with light and then half with night. That's how he did everything. He just spoke it into existence. His throne is in the center of everything. Church, I have got great news for you. Our God is on the throne and He is in control during the Great Tribulation with the mark of the beast, with the Antichrist, with the building of a third temple, with the, uh, uh, with, uh, with the falling away of the church. Throughout this whole end time scenario, you need to know something. Somebody's sitting on the throne and He's in control. We're not going through this thing blind or haphazardly or bumping off the sides. We are going through this that our God is on the throne and He's in control. I've got great news for you. Even when your wife has asked you for a divorce, your God is still on the throne and in control. When the doctor says you're terminal, your God is still on the throne and He's in control. Even when you don't make the grade or you don't make the cut... Your God is still on the throne and He is in control. Church, no matter what happens, that throne will never be empty. That throne will never be vacant. Because karma does not govern the universe. Your horoscope and the stars, chance, do not govern the universe. Lady luck or the wheel in the sky does not govern the universe. Who does? The one who is sitting on the throne and who's in charge. No, that's our God. That's our God. And as I kind of go into the last part of this message, I want you to know that these are the things that we very well may see the moment we get into heaven at rapture. Those 24 elders surrounding the throne, those four living creatures with all the eyes. So if that's the case, let me tell you how to be ready for when that trumpet blasts. Revelation 4, 8 through 11. Each of the four living creatures, day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever them living creatures give out glory and thanks to Him who sits on the throne and who lives forever, every time the, the four creatures would speak up, the 24 elders would engage in worship. The 24 elders, they fell down before Him who sits on the throne and they worship Him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory, to receive honor, and to receive power. For You created all things. And by Your will they were created and have their being. Church, the endless worship of those four living creatures and the elders is the response to God's glory. The four living creatures respond to God's glory in worship. When we look at this, do you think it was loud or do you think it was quiet? You think it was loud? There would be some of us looking around saying, oh, that is not proper worship. Mm. Undignified. Undignified is what it is. They're making it all about them. Look at them falling on the ground. Who do they think they are? They're not fooling me. Worship, worship service in heaven seems pretty intense. How does that compare to our worship service? You know, heaven doesn't look to earth to see how they worship God. We should look to heaven to see how they worship God. And if we understood that dynamic, we wouldn't look at somebody cross-eyed next time they raise their hand. We wouldn't get upset when somebody dances a little bit or somebody claps their hands. Baby, maybe you just don't see the glory the way they see the glory. 
And if somebody lifting their hand or clapping hands freaks you out, you're going to have a difficult time in heaven. My friend, you were created to be a God worshiper. You may be, you may be a man or a woman, but you understand something. You were created to be a worshiper. You may be a parent or a child, but you were created to be a worshiper. You are to worship God. We are to worship God because God desires worship. Our God's not made out of stone. He's not some, some, some hard, disassociative, uh, uh, non-engaged father who never cries, who never weeps, who never hurts. Man, I believe that God has the most sensitive and tender heart in the entire universe. Preacher, I don't believe that. Okay. Maybe I'm speculating. But I love what Augustine said. He said this, and, and I want you to think about this. Our God thirsts to be thirsted after. Our God thirsts to be thirsted after. I believe that the simplest way for you and I to be rapture ready is to have a thirst for the glory of God right now. To worship Him now. God delights in our love for Him. Our thirst for Him. Our worship for Him. Even our smallest, seemingly insignificant things we do for the kingdom of God. Somehow it gets His attention. I want you to think about that. Jesus is looking to see if we're even giving out a cup of water in His name. And when we do, guess who notices? You mean to tell me if I just give out a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. And He said, well, you'll never lose your reward. Y'all, the reason why that happens is because He notices. Even the little things. Mark 9, 1, 41. I tell you the truth. Anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. Y'all, let me tweak that a little bit. You give a piece of candy in the name of Jesus. It catches God's attention. You give a hot dog in Jesus' name. It'll get God's attention. And some of you are calling me and saying, man, we've got people telling us, how dare we be Christians, give out candy on Halloween. How dare we? Hey, you know what? My Bible says this is the day the Lord has made. This, this, the devil doesn't own this day. This is the Lord's day. And even if we were doing this on Tuesday, it would still be the Lord's day. And y'all, we're not celebrating the enemy. We're taking what we're taking back, what the enemy has stolen. We're being salt and light. We're not giving out, uh, we're, we're not, we're not, we're giving out Bibles. You tell me what part of the devil is a part of that? Me neither. Where am I at, Pam? All right. Uh, how, how God has the most tender. I'm, I'm getting old. Uh, God has the most sensitive and tender heart in the universe. Um, oh, do you remember the, remember the lepers? How many came back? You know who hurt the heart of Jesus? The nine who didn't. Now, that may seem petty to you, but it's not to me because I'm behind the fact that God has the most sensitive and tender heart in the entire universe. He noticed these things and it hurts him. There was a nameless sister who poured out an expensive jar of, of perfume, Menard, an alabaster jar of perfume on Jesus' head. And the, the perfume could have been worth anything from $32 to over $50,000. We don't know. We're simply speculating. But the one thought that I thought was interesting, the woman who had this alabaster jar of perfume, she had probably bought it for her own burial. You ever heard of paying ahead for your funeral so your kids don't have to do it? 
very well what she could have done. Instead, of she poured it over Jesus' head, preparing him for burial. Now, Jesus wasn't impressed whether it was $50,000 or $300 or $30. What he was impressed about was the heart that poured it out. You see, God's not really concerned about how big our check is we write. He's really concerned about how our heart is when we write the check. Well, Mike, that sounds kind of petty. Really? I didn't make up the rules and I didn't make God. I'm telling you what God looks at. As we leave Revelation 4, we're walking into a worship service in heaven already in progress. Four living creatures must be, they've got to be a sight to behold, uh, incompromisably glorious in their appearance by our human standards. But, and when we look at these, these creatures with the six wings and the faces and all that, the most, the most profound thing is not the way they look, it's what they're saying. Look what they say. Each of the four living creatures, day and night, they never stop. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. These amazing beings with all the eyes exist to serve no other function than to simply worship the glory of God. How else do you respond to His glory other than holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty? Do you remember what was all over them? I think all they do for all of eternity is they walk around the throne of God. And as they see the throne in their periphery, they see another part of God that they've never seen before. A part of His holiness and a part of His glory. A side of His sovereignty that they've never seen before. And I think every time they walk around the throne, they're surprised by something new about God. And they just say, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty. Glory to You. Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty. Can you imagine walking around the throne of God and seeing something new for all of eternity? You know, some of us need a fresh vision of God. Because our vision's stale. And that comes from being in His presence and giving the proper response to His glory, which is worship. Hmm. Have you had enough? I think that's good. Cicero. He wrote this. I'm closing with this. Cicero said antiquity, a common sign of fasciolage. That was a subordinate position to another. Was in the habit of taking off the diadem, which is a sign of royalty, usually a crown. That king had been conquered. He would bow down before the conquering king and he would put his throne in front of the one who defeated him, the one that he is surrendering to. When's the last time you casted your crown before the throne of God? When is the last time you surrendered to him? When is the last time you said, you know what, God? I just simply need to surrender my whole life to you. And I'll do it again tomorrow. I'll do it again in an hour if I have to. But I'm going to surrender my life to you. Every head bowed, every eye closed.
Some of you have some business. Some of us have some business we need to take care of this morning. For some of you, we looked at that worship service in heaven and some of you got convicted because you didn't want to come today. You had to force yourself to get out of bed. But you need to know something. When you're having those internal dialogues with yourself about staying in bed, you need to remember this. God is still on the throne and he's in control. He's not slept. He's not slumbered. Church, God is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our adoration. He is worthy of our bowing. He is worthy of us falling before him. He is worthy of us giving him our crowns. He is worthy, period. And I often wonder, do we worship him in a way that shows him how much we love him? How much we honor him? How much we adore him? How much we exalt him? And y'all, if heaven is the standard operating procedure for how a worship service is to be done. Cousin, we've got a lot of work to do. Heaven doesn't look at earth to see how to worship God. Earth needs to look to heaven to see how they worship Him. Almighty God, I want to thank you so much for your word and the power that is contained therein. Thank you so much for speaking correction into us. Thank you so much for speaking power and revelation, fresh revelation. Lord, not new revelation, but it's just fresh revelation. We're seeing things today for a very first time in a new way. But Lord, the truth of the matter is you are glorious and you are beautiful. You always have been and you always will be. Let us never stop being amazed at your glory. Lord, we love you. Thank you for asking us. Thank you for drawing us to be your children. And use us, Lord God, for your glory tonight. Use us for your glory as we show Chester the love of Jesus. And we ask for your blessing today. And it's in Jesus' precious holy name that I pray.